I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is a, a Sunday Times best-selling author. She's a speaker, a novelist, and a host of the number one careers podcast in the UK, Control Alt Delete. Emma Gannon has blogged since 2009, podcasted since 2016, and is the author of four books to date. She was selected in 2018 to be on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Her nonfiction work includes the best-selling books, uh, The Multi-Hyphen Method, Sabotage, and her next nonfiction is called Disconnected, How to Stay Human in an Online World, due to be published in December 2021. In July 2020, her first novel, Olive, was published and hit the number one spot in the Apple audiobook charts. She is currently writing her second novel. What an amazing writer with so much creativity and so much productivity. Her Webby-nominated podcast, Control Al Delete, is a non-traditional careers podcast founded in 2016 to give an insight into people who have looked at their interests to shape the work that they do. It has had nearly 8 million downloads to date. Such an amazing, inspiring millennial with so many interesting views and things we normally shy away from talking about or shy away from maybe having the courage to live according to wonderful guests. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, Emma Gannon. So I wanted to start with a question. If you look at the multi-hyphen method, sort of a self-help book, you know, talking about how to pick, you know, a life where you can do multiple things at the same time, an olive, a novel, I feel both of them are almost, they have one thing in common. They are both basically saying, let me live the way I want. Is that true? It's like, I don't want to be traditional. I don't want to live that life that was dictated on me. So, you know, one of them is how I will work and what life I will do professionally. And the other is sort of my choices as a woman and in my romantic life and motherhood and so on, which is really quite interesting. Is that how you write normally? You just... Because it's very clear that this is you. You can't hide that. It's like, let me do whatever I want. Yes, totally. I love that you picked up on that because that's exactly it. I feel like if people say, oh, they're completely different and you've pivoted from being a business author into being a novelist now, how different? And I'm thinking, I think they're doing exactly the same things, but just in different ways. And writing a novel to talk about being a child-free felt right at the time, just because I'm in my early 30s. I don't feel like I have an authority yet, to be honest, to talk about that topic. I wanted to make it up and touch on it in a lighter way. And yeah, I think the umbrella to everything that I'm trying to do, I think the thread that weaves everything together is definitely living a life outside of the box and, you know, not being afraid to let people down or go away from your tribe or tell your parents you don't want to do it the same way they've done it so it is all about yeah going down your own path I think don't you realize that this is almost the biggest 
fear any human has today. The idea of living your own path is like, you know, no, that's worse than death because everyone else will judge me. They'll tell me not to do this. You know, they'll think I'm, you know, wasting my life. And you seem to be adopting that over and over. Why are you so different? It's so funny though, Mo, that you just said going down your own path is everyone's biggest fear and worse than death because honestly, the opposite is true for me. <laughs> that's yeah. the thing worse than anything would be honestly lying you know if I get to an old age I hope lying there and thinking I didn't even do it my way and I didn't give it a go and and that's why when people say you know I'm blocked creatively and I can't write the book and I can't do this I'm thinking but what's worse than not trying mm. you know like that is my biggest fear is not giving it a go. I'd rather fail over and over and over again than, than do it the way other people are telling me, I guess. I mean, is that how you are in your personal life as well? You seem to be exploring like a massive variety from being the podcaster that you are with Control Alt Delete, which is really a full-time job if you want, right? To being a, a novelist, which is honestly something I completely failed at, regardless of how I put my mind to it. You just take goals between so many different things and you seem to be like, yeah, I'll give it a try and you do it well, right? Do you do that in your personal life? What's the secret? How do you do that so well? It's such a hard question. And I think, I mean, it must come naturally to me at some, in some way, because otherwise it would feel too difficult. And I think sometimes I don't really sit with myself and try and unpick my personality too much because I think that would stifle me or freak me out. <laughs> I just, I think I'm just curious. I think if someone said, define yourself in one word, I would always say curious because mm. I just want to know what's going on underneath. And if I'm sat next to someone at a dinner party, I don't really want to know what their day job is. I want to know how they're feeling. And I definitely felt like growing up, I felt a bit too much for some people because some people don't want to talk about their feelings at a dinner party. They just want to talk about the weather and then they want to go home. I don't want to talk about the weather. I want to talk about how we're all getting through life because you so beautifully write about this. We're all going through something and we're all, we all have challenges with our mental health and it's a daily practice. And I think no one's immune to that. How are we going through our life? So I was hoping that we take the conversation there. So let's talk about Olive first. Olive is like 20% of Emma, right? And how, how Olive made a choice. I have to tell you openly. So I had a guest here that spoke about something that was called uh, the superwoman syndrome. How a woman in her 30s, um, you know, the guest was Alice Law. And she spoke about how basically a woman has to go through so much in today's world and it's so difficult. And I, my view of it is that men as well, I mean, it's becoming so difficult to find your place in life. So how, how is your life going? I mean, let's start with Olive. Olive is this young 33-year-old lady who decides she doesn't want children. And that leads her to a place where, I don't want to spoil it, I think it's a fabulous read, but just at the top level, she decides maybe her boyfriend is not the right boyfriend or the relationship breaks up. And the story is about her and three of her friends who are in a very different phase of life discussing how is life going for us. How is life going for us in general, do you think? What's happening with the internet, with everything that's creating our life as it is today? 
Well, I think we've got so much choice now. And at the heart of the book, I wanted to talk about that. This is a book about choice and not having choice, but at the end of the day, picking what you want your life to look like. And I think men have a lot of pressures too. Historically, men have had to do things they haven't wanted to do. They've had to go out and work and earn money and be in this prison of a corporate job because of their families. I think men have been imprisoned too, but I think women have had to be everything and be good at everything and have it all in quotes. We're meant to be beautiful and we're meant to be young and we're meant to be intelligent and we're meant to be mothers and we're meant to be friends and wives and clean the house. And I mean, I'm being generalized, but like we're meant to do it all and we're meant to do it perfectly. And we're made to feel guilty all the time. And I think that's what my friends who are parents struggle with is the guilt. Anytime they're not doing something right, the guilt is there. So basically, Olive is a protagonist who just does not want children. This isn't a question for Olive, really. She knows that she doesn't. And her version of having it all is everything but the kids. And really, it's a story of her navigating that journey and coming to terms with it. Because I think as a woman, you kind of are made to feel slightly alien if you don't want kids. Like, we pretend Mm -hmm. we're cool with it. But if you meet a woman who just unapologetically doesn't want kids, people are quite suspicious still. They're like, who is this woman? And why doesn't she want kids? And, And then as a woman, you're feeling like you have a womb, you have body parts that are meant to feed a child you're not using them am I bad like it's all wrapped up in all sorts of judgments so yeah I really wanted to talk about that because I do not want children and I honestly could not be happier with that decision I love the fact that my life is going to look the same now forever hopefully and what's been interesting is other people other women especially have kind of relaxed with me It's almost like I'm not this superwoman that they have to compare themselves to because I'm openly saying I'm not going to do it all. Like I'm not going to be super mum. And so, yeah, I I wanted to touch on that. And and all the women in the book are all different, but they're all still best friends. And I think that's important to say is this isn't lots of people judging each other or feeling like they're in different camps. So I have to admit to you, your life is very different than ours. When I was growing up, you really almost didn't have a choice. It was like one path. You graduate, you work your bum off, and you get married, and you get kids, and you know you raise your head 45 years later, and you go like, what was that? Like, what happened here? And I, I was very, very lucky. I got married to my college sweetheart, who was the most amazing woman on the planet. I still say that publicly today, even though we're not together. I think she's the most amazing gift any man could ever get. And she got me two amazing kids. But I will say openly, that was never my choice. I mean, I probably would have made the same choice again, but I never actually sat down and said, is that how you want to spend the rest of your life? It was just unfolding. Now. I actually have to say it's not different in your generation. You're still bombarded with choices from outside you. There are just too many of them, okay? And you're expected to do all of them at the same time. Do you believe that everyone should take a stand? I mean, Olive takes that stand about children. Do you think another woman could say, no, I don't want to work in my 30s. I want to have a family, the opposite of it, you know? Is that a choice that is available? I definitely think that's at the heart of it is that success is different for all of us we all have different definitions and that's the beauty I think of 
understanding that we all have different milestones we all have different things that are important to us so when I have a book coming out my friends are rallying around me they're coming to the party they're buying me champagne they're like congratulations Emma but then I've got a best friend that's just had her second child and I know that we should say the kid is more important it probably is let's be honest than the book but I think the point is that we make sure each other feel seen and we feel like we're celebrating the different things that we all want to go through so I think it's just what works for you works for you and we don't have the one definition of success for all of us. And that's why the multi-hyphen method is very similar to Olive. I want people to read the multi-hyphen method and just question, do I want something different? Do I want to leave my job? Would I be more comfortable doing it a different way? And that's what Olive is doing. It's just saying, what do you actually want from your life? Like we don't ask ourselves that very often. I actually don't don't know if if this will offend anyone. I, I don't believe the child is more important than the book you were being diplomatic and nice there, I think. See, I'm still scared. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think either is more important than the other. I think each of us comes to life with a mission. And I think it's your least duty to figure out what that mission is. And by the way, I mean, Nibel, my ex, you know, she raised Ali and Aya, my, my son and daughter. And I will openly tell you that in itself is a bigger achievement than everything, everything I have ever achieved in my life combined. She was such an incredibly talented mother. She did an amazing job with two amazing beings, right? And, and you know, in an interesting way, Ali and his story sort of is contributing to the world very heavily because of how Nibel raised him. At the same time, you know, the work that you do with exposing something like Olive, I don't think is any less, there is no more important and, and less important, don't you think? It's interesting. I agree that we all have things that are important to us and we should recognise them in each other. But it's interesting. I wanted Olive to bring women especially together under this topic, not apart. So yes, I'm someone that doesn't want to have children and will remain, I think, child free. But I'm also incredibly passionate about mothers and parents. I think they've been let down during the pandemic. I think we don't value motherhood or fatherhood in society we don't treat mothers with the respect they deserve oh, i think yes, other absolutely. societies and other countries do it's like we respect the matriarch we respect that kind of giving and caring role and so it's weird i'm child free by choice but i'm like a bit of a kind of angry campaigner when it comes to seeing parents not being treated well so mm. yeah it's, it's a really lovely conversation and i just at the heart of the book it's about no one is more or less important than anyone else. We're all equal, basically. What I find really interesting, though, is that those choices um, are rarely ever followed through. And, you know, either in the case of Emma Olive or in the case of, again, Emma in the multi-hyphen method, what you do is you take very courageous, very painful sometimes, very risky choices, right, to follow that dream you sort of like say, maybe a relationship is not working because he wants a child and I don't, or, you know, you take a career path that is very risky. You know, there is no salary at the end of the month and you're just juggling a few things at the same time and so on. What would you tell someone who wants to jump into something that is normally not the normal path? What would be your biggest tip? Well, it's sort of why I wanted to write about self-sabotage in, in the book, because one of the big sabotage things that I do is, or I've overcome, is the inner critic, that voice mm -hmm. that tells you, you can't do it, you shouldn't do it. I think that book, Sabotage, has, has gone down very well, but I was very nervous about it coming out, because it's basically saying, 
you know, we have to take responsibility for our lives. And there's only so much blame you can put on other people. I know that we have systemic oppression and we have racism and we have inequality and we have really awful things in this world that stop people from achieving things. That kind of is a separate conversation, I feel, even though I do talk about it in the book. But at the heart of it, it starts with us and it starts with the individual. And we kind of have to make change by ourselves, however lonely that can sound. I think we have to kind of admit that, that we can't rely on other people that much. So that's why I wanted to talk about that book, because I think I'm someone who does count on myself quite a lot. I choose myself and I do believe what in what I'm doing. And I don't know where that comes from, but I just know I have it and I kind of want to cling on to it as much as I can. Because yes, I take calculated risks and I am doing things that are, yeah, could backfire. But I'm also very privileged. And I think a lot of people probably listening to this, if they have a roof over their head or they have a Wi-Fi connection or they have a laptop, we can do things. We have actually quite a lot of security. So what is holding us back? I think it's more to do what's in our heads than actually physically what's holding us back. How did you handle that inner critic? Well, that's why I wanted to write Sabotage, because I really learned a lot. And I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from people like Martha Beck, Byron Katie, Eckhart Tolle, all the classics. But the minute you start questioning things, the magic really starts to happen, doesn't it? Yeah. You sometimes say in your public interviews to get to know yourself, not the self that you're that you're told you are, but the self that you really are, right? So that, that idea of questioning. So the inner critic will tell you, oh, you can't do this. And you'll say, no, just leave me alone. I will. Is that how it is? Yes. Yes. Treating it like it's like a three-year-old that doesn't know anything is quite useful, but also unpicking where it came from. Because I don't think a lot of these criticisms come from us. We internalize the love and support from our friends and family, but we also internalize the nitpicking and the criticism and the doubts. And I internalize quite a lot of things that people said to me when I was younger. I had a lot of people that told me it wasn't possible and that I shouldn't try. I had people at university who said that, well, I'm slightly dyslexic, so writing for me is is quite a challenge. Are you? No. No, I can't believe that. (laughs) And I was told at university, like, not to bother writing ever. So it's other people's voices that I'm always trying to get out of my head. And I think I'm getting there. They're very quiet now. Good. Yeah. If they tell you that you're not a good writer, then seriously, stay quiet. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? You do, however, talk about small, what did you call them? Small wins, small steps in in multi-hyphen methods. So the idea that anything that appears to be scary can start with a tiny little thing. Yeah, it's always a small seed. And I think for people who are thinking about a side hustle, for example, it's really not an overnight thing. And I really wanted to spell that out in the book, that this is over 10 years of me writing a blog post every night. You know, like a few years in, it starts to snowball, but it's such commitment. And I think we have to turn up as professionals every single day. I I just, there's a consistency to success, I think. And I don't know if it's, some people don't want to hear it because it is a lot of work and it is hard graft. And I think if you're wanting to start anything these days, you kind of can't just start and then give up after a month. This is like a long game that we're in here. So I wanted to talk about planting very small steps so that every day you feel like you're getting somewhere. 
I used the analogy actually when I was writing Olive that I got a brace and like an invisible brace on like the first day I started writing Olive. And then when I finished Olive, I had straight teeth and it was like these <laughs> tiny little things every day produced an outcome. And it's the same with tiny degrees. Like even when an aeroplane is flying, you don't feel it move, but it can go completely the other way. I think small steps is everything. But consistency as well, Emma. I mean, I actually wanted to get you to that point because I have to admit, most of the things that you do have that nature to them where you have to keep blogging over several years, you know, your podcast, which is, I think, more than 8 million downloads now, that's 2016. You're still very consistently doing the right thing over and over. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. I think a lot of people, because of the stories we hear in the news about, you know, this person doing this little startup and then two years later they're a millionaire, we think that things happen this fast. And yes, sometimes they do, but that means you have to really count on your luck. You're the opposite. You're like a train. You know, you're just going to take a few miles every day. Is, is that how you do it? Yes, but I, I would also say that part of all of this, I think, and with the multi-hyphen method as well, was getting to know yourself again, like the journaling and the reflection and the trial and error and the getting things wrong and trying new things is all about finding your thing, like that thing that you love doing. People might look at me, it's funny, you said earlier, like you're a machine. I don't think of myself as a machine. I think of myself as someone that is fueling myself by it. Like if anything, mm. it's giving me the energy. I'm not burning out and you know like I'm not tired today at all and I went for a walk and I did some meditation I did some breathing exercises but I also wrote a thousand words I was productive today but I wasn't productive in a bad tiring way and I really think that those two things don't have to be separate we have this like hustle culture of like 5am starts and then we've got the self-care gurus that seem to just lie on the sofa all day I do that too. But I think they can coexist. They can be together. And, you know, I don't want people to look at me and think, oh, she's so productive. When does she sleep? I want people to know I do sleep a lot, but I'm lucky that I found the thing that I love doing. And it's it's something I need to do actually to stay sane, not the other way around. Mm, I totally, I totally relate to this. So I, I'll have to tell you openly, you know, my startup is bound to be very, very successful. And I love what we're doing and what we're doing is probably going to help the planet become a better place. But at the end of the day, every day that I don't sit down and write, I go like, ah, oh, come on. Like, you know, I, I need to write because it's sort of like almost makes me complete in a way. It makes me able to organize my thoughts and put them in the right in the right order, if you want. Do you believe that everyone has one of those? Like everyone has some, I mean, you, you and I write, you know, does everyone have something if they really search for it? Definitely. Everyone has something. I think the problem is we're not encouraged to look for it very much. And, and like what you were saying, sometimes we look up in five years time and time is just gone. And I think it's so interesting when people discover it later on in life, which is, I mean, at least we discover it at some point. That's the main thing. But Definitely everyone has one. And that's why maybe the silver lining of 2020, even though it was awful, you know, a lot of people had light bulb moments during that year. Maybe they were furloughed for a few months or something happened and they had a bit of free time or they realized they absolutely hated their job doing it from home. And without the balance of the office, it was just a toxic atmosphere or a horrible boss or whatever it might be. And so I don't know, it could have 
forced people to reflect and look at things in a different way perhaps but I absolutely think we all have it I think we're all creative and I think at the end of the day all human beings want the same thing which is we want peace we want to be able to just breathe and we want to make things these are the words of a very creative person we want to make things I actually have to agree I think for all of our listeners I mean there is something I love the term small hustles you said I like that very much. I think if you allow yourself an hour a day, really, I mean, how many of us don't even have an hour a day? You can make an hour a day, right? And instead of binge watching, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever, just try to do something. I think that really, really makes a big difference. And if you do it consistently, I think the idea of consistency is not just that you find your place in the marketplace. It's also your neuroplasticity. It's also your ability to get better at it that basically creates something that is amazing over time. Emma, you, you have a style that I don't have, which again, I heard you speak about in an interview, and it really fascinates me. So you go out and interview people before you write. You know, when you, when you wrote Olive, you spoke to other women that are interested in, in being childless. I should learn to do that. As a matter of fact, it's a big weakness. I, I watch YouTube and listen to people talking anyway. But what else did you find are the trends? The things that are in a young lady's life today are a little hidden or buried and unlived, if you want. I don't know if it was just to do with women. I feel like these were broader topics that everyone could probably relate to. But what came out was just a fear of making the wrong decision in life. The fear of not having children and regretting it, the fear of having a child and not liking it, the fear of not being able to change your mind because we only got one life. And there was a lot of insecurity in the interviews that I did with child-free women, even though they knew deep down in their hearts that they always knew they didn't want to have children. There was a worry that they would feel left out and that maybe their friends with kids wouldn't invite them to things anymore or their friend is going to go through this huge change, this magnificent experience of giving birth or their male friends who are becoming fathers and realizing that maybe they're not going to understand them in the same way maybe that's a fundamental difference between people with kids and not with kids maybe maybe you don't understand each other anymore that was the worry but that's why I wanted to write the book because I think regardless of if you have kids or not we're still human beings who connect on other levels but that was something that came out in the interviews and I felt like it was important if I was going to write fiction I needed to have done my research I needed other voices in there for the characters and so I interviewed people from 16 years old to women in their 80s it was so interesting oh how many in total do you remember I think I interviewed it was between 50 and 100 I can't remember exactly but a lot of people yeah but I loved it. It was all mainly on email. And I felt like I had these pen pals. I couldn't oh, wait to talk so to them. Cool. It was like talking to these strangers. And what's interesting is is how open they were with me because it was a novel. So they would never have their names in there. But yeah, they told me everything. So you basically would go, look, I'm writing a novel about A, B and C, well, you know, and, and ask them questions and how amazing people are amazing. And they'll go like, yeah, let me tell you my point of view. Right. <laughs> yeah, and they were so giving and they were so open with me and they really wanted to just explain all the reasons. And that was the thing, all the reasons were so different. So some people didn't want kids because they just felt their life was full enough. Some people didn't want them because of climate change and the environment. Some people didn't want them because they, you know, because of something that happened to them. It was like all so different, but at the heart of it, 
I don't know, I felt very connected to them. I felt seen by them. The other thing was that they were so happy I was writing the novel. They felt like there is not enough representation of child-free women in books. So that was, um, there's a Wikipedia page for voluntary childlessness. And under cultural references, there's Olive and there's a TV show, Grey's Anatomy or something. I was like, is that (laughs) it? Surely not. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, do you remember the book uh, that was called Quiet? Oh, I love that book. Yeah. It's Susan Cain. And, and Susan Cain honestly gave a voice to introverts because basically, you know, nobody was talking about, everybody was talking about the extroverts that were out there and closing the deals and so on. And, and I think in an interesting way, I think Olive is simply saying, look, there is, I think, a rising number of women that are for multiple reasons saying, no, I mean, I don't want to go through that path. And it's completely unexpressed. I think it's... I think you may actually end up starting a big movement because I think that reassurance of saying, hey, by the way, there are others like me that are considering this for different reasons. It's a very interesting place to be. What was Olive's reason for not wanting children? I think she just almost didn't have a reason. And that's what made her so fascinating to me. And I suppose it's the same with me. I don't have one big reason. And I, you know, I'm still asked because I'm 31 and I'm getting married in July and we've just bought a new house. So I'm very much being an adult, (laughs) but um, don't necessarily want to do have children. So I'm getting asked a lot from other people, you know, are you going to have kids? They're being polite, but it's just a conversation starter. I don't ever make people feel bad for asking me. But I don't really have a reason. I just know that it's not for me. And Role models, not that I'm one or Oliver's one, but me, to me, Elizabeth Gilbert is a bit of a role model because she's the first person I read. I read Eat, Pray, Love, haven't we all? But her (laughs) saying, I wanted to leave my marriage. I didn't want to have kids. I think her husband did. And that's why it all ended as well. And then she went traveling. Now she lives on her own. She then changed and told her best friend that she loved her. Like, she's just this free spirit who doesn't really want to play by society's rules. And that changed everything for me, because if you see someone else do it, you just know I can do that then as well. Yeah, I think that's definitely key. In your conversation now, you mentioned fear once and you mentioned guilt once. And, you know, there is there seems to be those hindrances that are keeping us from being ourselves. What would you say to your friends in their 30s about those? About fear, I would say that the minute that you make peace with it being a big part of your life forever, the minute you can kind of relax, like fear isn't going to go anywhere. We're wired to Mm -hmm. feel fearful. I don't really like those t-shirts that are like fearless woman, (laughs) because I don't think I'm ever, I don't think I'm ever going to be fearless. Like I'm a fearful person. We, a lot of us are, our brains are looking for danger because it wants to protect us. And I think that's a lovely thing. I think self-sabotage is also self-protection. And actually, isn't that so nice that our brains are so scared for us all the time? (laughs) But we kind of need to realize that they're kind of lying to us. They're overreacting. We don't need to be afraid of publishing a book. It's not a tiger who's going to eat us alive. It's fine. So I would say to just embrace how you're feeling and be honest with yourself. I think... Being truthful is the only answer, really. So just admit how you're feeling. Be honest. Mm. Guilt? Well, I I don't know what the statistic is, but I think we see like over 50,000 images a day of adverts. 
I mean, probably more now. That was like billboards and TV adverts, I think, on our phones. It's thousands. So unpicking why we're being made to feel guilty. I mean, the minute you realise that if we had no guilt, then these companies wouldn't make all their money. There's something very freeing with just not letting yourself feel guilty for things. It's just part of life and it's the society we live in. And we're just made to feel bad all the time because it sells things. That's so interesting. I, you know, I, I, again, very, very wise of you to point out that the truth is the only way you can make people buy something, sadly, is the negative. It's like you're missing out or something, your friends have it and you're less, you know. It's constantly, you know, inducing the negative in us to make us take that action and buy something more. And we now live in a society where you're constantly feeling that negativity of missing out or feeling guilty. And it's just crazy, really, when in reality, you need very little. If you didn't know that your friend had a new BMW or that BMWs didn't exist, you wouldn't ever want one. You know, no one would wake up in the morning and go like, yes, I want a German-made car with leather seats made in Britain, which they call Bentley. Like, why would you need that? If the only car in the world was a Hyundai, we would all be very happy, really. I mean, nothing yeah. would be missing at all, yeah? It's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. It's so interesting because being in isolation for the past year and being at home and I guess having whatever you have in your four walls, like we're all different. We're not all in the same boat. We've probably all got different sized houses. It's, it would be silly to say we're all going through exactly the same thing because we're not. But I think having all of that materialism taken away a bit has been really eye-opening. I mean, I went into central London the other day and walked down Bond Street and people were queuing outside all of these designer shops. And again, all, you know, fair play to them if they want to. But I just thought, I can't think of anything I'd less want to do is buy an expensive thing right now. Yeah, I don't get that bit at all. You know, I think some people are missing the point, really. If you've lived without it for a year and a bit, why are you still buying it? It's really quite interesting. Maybe it's like, let me go. And you, you have your next book in December. So it's with the publishers already. I'm writing it still at the moment and I hand are it in you? next month. Yeah. Oh, and I'm taking your time. I'm taking it away from that book. So tell me a little bit about it. It's about living in the internet world, being you, being connected in the internet world. So the subtitle is How to Stay Human Online, I think it is. It's called Disconnected. And it's basically a short book like The Size of Sabotage, reflecting on where we're at with the internet and how we can be nicer to each other online basically or at least mm. how can we go back to the roots of it how can we use it in a way where we strip it all back and we actually use the internet for what it was designed for which was not for big corporations to sell us stuff it was to connect with each other and have conversations so there's a chapter in there about how to have better conversations online how to build better communities online I mean it's all things that are very relatable to offline as well but it, yeah it's centered around that because you know we've all been on here for a long time now it's been a few decades of interneting and I just really wanted to write a reflective book on where do we go from here how do we make things better because I think a lot of us have a bit of fatigue around social media I think we all we're all a bit grossed out by it but how do we get back our kind of creativity and inspiration again 
That's amazing coming from you. I'm totally grossed out by it, by the way. I mean, at the end of every podcast, I tell my listeners to get in touch with me on Instagram and LinkedIn and so on. But honestly and truly, that's the only good reason I still like social media because I can talk to so many people. But the truth is that the way the engines are and the way it sucks our energy is is really, really not uh, healthy for any of us. By the way, I'm publishing my next book, Scary Smart, a couple of months before you. And I actually need to refer to your work because one of the solutions I have for the upcoming artificial intelligence introduction into our life is that we need to change as humans. We need to become more human. And the place to portray that is online. And as you rightly said, if we can be nicer online, if we can create communities online. So maybe we should tour together somehow, you know, the guys, you know. Yes. And I'm so excited. Honestly, like I... I'm a writer, but I'm also a reader and I love reading books. And when anyone who I admire like you has a new book coming out, I'm like buzzing for it. I can't wait to read that. It's really coming out very interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've had those. I'm sure you did. I mean, this is one of those books that by chapter seven, I was like, where are you going with this? Like, you're really depressing everyone here. And then, you know, I have that very strange thing of 4.11. So I, I get woken up at 4.11 in the morning. And then suddenly when I'm like tipsy and not really, really thinking straight, I get a very clear idea. And that shaped the book in a very interesting way. And so, yeah, it's now in a very nice place, actually. That is really exciting and such an important message, because like you say, we need to be more human, not more like machines. Like they can be machines, we can be humans. And I guess that's sort of what I was hinting at with my book is that, well, why aren't we using the internet to connect more with like our local communities and make change in our real lives? Why don't we go, you know, use things in person more that we don't need the internet for? So like online dating has got insane when actually we probably don't need the apps as much as we think we are. Like be more human. Yeah, exactly. But can't wait to read that. You'll be getting one of those very early, uh, (laughs) high quality copies before everyone else. Also, do you mind me asking you quickly, because you will know this, but like, why do we get such crystal clear ideas in the morning, in the early morning? Because I get them. I don't know. So sometimes I feel it's my son, like literally nudging me and saying, wake up, there is something I need to tell you. So if you have a guardian angel somewhere, sometimes I feel that because when I wrote Soul for Happy, and I'm not exaggerating, I would wake up at 4.11 right? And I would write for, you know, maybe 30 minutes, three pages. And then I would go to bed and I forget that I woke up completely. And I I promise you, those pages were the only pages that were never edited by any of the editors. It's almost like a few weeks later, I'm looking at my desktop and I go like, what's that? You know, the game, what is this? I double click on the game and there are three pages written. And I promise you, I would be reading it and I go like, man, that's good shit. Who wrote this? Right. And then, (laughs) yeah. So so this is one area. Of course, the other area is that you process something in batch. I don't know how you write, but you know, when I'm writing on a topic, I obsess about it. So I start to listen to hundreds of speakers, YouTube videos. I read any book I can get on it. And somehow you put all of that in the food processor back there in the back of your head and you wake up in the morning and you go like, ooh, Now, you know, I made a connection between book number three and topic number four and lecture number seven and something comes out. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's so fascinating because I think as well, it must be because what you're doing, I guess, is channeling something without the ego or your self-sabotage kicking in. It's just like fully coming out. And I get it when I wake up from a nap 
and my brain hasn't like kicked into like the ego yes. and the the worries yeah. and i have this like split second when i wake up from a nap where i just think my life is so wonderful <laughs> it is so wonderful emma you're amazing <laughs> but isn't it amazing that like life is quite wonderful but it's all the other stuff in our heads that cloud it so when it's not clouded i'm like wow and then it kicks in again <laughs> exactly so this is what i this is what i write about in soul for happy without thought we're just happy as a yes. child as long as you're yes. not complaining about what's wrong in your life Life is amazing, you know, it's, yeah. it's really quite amazing. And, and you are amazing. I'm so, so, so grateful that you gave me the time. You're such a delightful, pleasant, amazing angel that is teaching us so much. Oh, no, thank you so much. And I really am so appreciative that we met. It's really a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to turn the tables on you and ask yes. you everything because you're much more fascinating than me. And I can't wait to talk to you about everything. Not so, true at thank all. you. So everyone listening, we're doing what we know in the industry as a podcast swap. So I'll be on control, I'll delete. And I've been looking forward to it. If you haven't listened to control, I'll delete. It's the number one careers podcast in the UK. And I think it's uh, it's definitely worth your time. So Emma, I can't thank you enough. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for sharing so openly. And I think you inspired quite a few people today. Thank you so, so much for having me. Oh my God, what an amazing angel. I loved, loved the conversation. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Control, I'll Delete or, or read some of Emma's books. They're really quite from the heart, I think. And I think they really make a difference. And as you may have heard today, Emma is not the kind of person that complies, if you want. And I think we all need a little bit of a dose of being who we are, I think is the right word. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And once again, I'm just so grateful to all of you for giving me the alibi to speak to such interesting and amazing and insightful conversations with amazing people. And uh, yeah, stay in touch. As I said uh, in the podcast, the only thing I really like about social media is how we can connect. So find me on uh, mo underscore gaudet on Instagram, uh, mo gaudet on LinkedIn, mo.gaudet.official on Facebook and mgaudet on Twitter. And uh, yeah, ask me questions, tell me what to do differently, suggest guests or really anything to help me share the wisdom of those amazing guests with more people. And while you're at it, please do your part, share about slow-mo, tell others. If you find value in it, then others might too. So rate it uh, five stars. If you are on Apple Podcasts, uh, share it on your own social media, call someone or send them a link and tell them, listen to this exact episode or that exact episode. And hopefully together we can keep spreading the message and making more and more people find themselves and, and find happiness. At the end of the day, I will always remind you that I know your lives are busy. I know they're becoming even busier as lockdowns ease out everywhere in the world. Remember to spend some time to think about how you want your life to be like when they set you free. And at the same time, remember that regardless of how busy you are, there's always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.